Welcome back to the Blockchain Podcast. I remain your host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Bill Stebbins. Thanks for returning on this Memorial Day weekend of 2023. And as an Army vet, a, a veteran of the war in Iraq, Memorial Day uh, brings to mind many thoughts, many memories, causing me to be a bit introspective each year as this holiday rolls around and folks have picnics and have a day off from work. But my mind goes to different places on Memorial Day as you might expect. And so in this episode of the Blockchain Podcast, I'm going to reflect on issues of war, things that we talk about frequently. But we're going to look at war, and uh, I'd like to ask a question. And it's a serious question. I'd like to reflect on why soldiers, what why they give their lives in battle, in service to this nation. And we often speak in terms of that they gave their life. I would offer that they don't give their life. Their, their lives are violently taken from them. And frequently, it's, it's not of their own volition. Uh, death comes in many different ways on the battlefield. And quite often, you're not expecting it and you don't think it will be you. But the question I want to ask that's very germane to the discussions we've been having on this podcast. It's a thought experiment. I would ask you to contemplate how many of our fallen comrades, if they were permitted to speak today, fallen comrades of Afghanistan or of Iraq, If they could speak today, if they could reflect on their deaths, the tragic disruptions to their lives, to their families, how many of them would say, do you suppose, that it was worth it? That their death and the repercussions of their death was worth it? That they wouldn't change a thing? that it was a worthwhile sacrifice. Maybe I'm not supposed to ask questions like that, but I do. As a vet, knowing a number of comrades who have met their deaths overseas in the global war on terror, as it was coined, as it was termed, it's my right and prerogative to ask questions like this, to reflect on warfare, and not to be simply a, a, a mindless marionette, if you will, a, a mindless, unthinking robot of the state, just going where I was told, doing what I was told, as if I'm not supposed to think for myself, as if it would be unpatriotic to retain the ability to think for myself and to have a sense of personal morality as I deployed twice to Iraq, which I did maintain my sense of morality and I had my own personal red lines 
that I had pledged to myself that I would not and did not cross. But how many of, of our comrades, of our fellow citizens who met their demise in the sands of Iraq, in the, in the mountains of Afghanistan, in the urban cities of Iraq, how many of them, if they could speak to us now, would say, you know, it was worth it. And, and, and if, if we were able to ask them further, I would want to know what, what was it? What did you die for? What was it that you gave your life for? Was it 20 years in Afghanistan and, and approximately $3 trillion of taxpayer money spent in, in Afghanistan such that the end result would be the Taliban in power? Such that the end result would be the the Millie Austin debacle of our route from Afghanistan, the absolutely pathetic tail between our legs, abandoning people, abandoning mountains of weapons and war material to the Taliban? Would an Afghan casualty, if he could come back, if she could come back, would she say, you know, that was worth it? And I wouldn't change a thing. Or maybe a casualty of the Iraq War. Again, about a couple of decades there. Two trillion dollars spent conservatively that gave us ISIS, that gave us an empowered Iran where we destroyed and basically neutralized Iran's greatest threat in the region. Thank you, Uncle Sam. We went in and, and uh, essentially neutered their regional threat for them. Iraq that is now moving away from the U.S. dollar. Maybe that was worth it. The global war on terror. Conservatively. $6.4 trillion, and that's a wildly conservative estimate, one of the estimates from Brown University, the Costs of War Project. Is the world a safer place now as a result of the global war on terror? Are citizens in the United States safer in their possessions and their property and their privacy? Or has the global war on terror opened up a Pandora's box where we're spied upon, we are monitored, surveilled, we are subject to an increasingly powerful centralized federal apparatus. Would these casualties go back? Would these men and women who serve their nation go back and say, you know what, it was worth it, I would do it again, I wouldn't change a thing. But I'm not allowed to ask questions like that, am I? I mean, this means I'm a traitor, doesn't it? Patriots don't talk like that. Patriots just salute and are more sophisticated in their thinking, correct? And so let's, let's forget the past, as so many of us have already done. No one thinks about Iraq and Afghanistan anymore. It's yesterday's news. 
all forgotten. And now, okay, so we have a, a holiday where we, we, some of us reflect back on, on those who gave their lives or had their lives ripped away from them in service of their nation. One, once a year, we think about it, we have a picnic and think about this. But it's forgotten. No, 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 we need to look forward. We need to press ahead as good patriots, as good officers and soldiers. Press ahead to Ukraine and the villain of uh, the new villain now. You know, Project of Ukraine, $48 billion appropriated. Only $6 billion left of that $48 billion. And so now, as you read the news reports, there's a little bit, uh, a little bit of Western unrest among some political leaders in the West wondering, can Ukraine survive? Is this investment going to pay off? Russia seems not to be caving, not to be imploding, how many months are we into this now? Again, this is the war of attrition, as most wars are. And no end in sight. But we have developments, don't we? The world's a little bit safer, isn't it? As uh, the president of Belarus this week, Lukashenko, said that anyone, any nation concerned about NATO anyone concerned about their security with NATO expansionism and U.S. supporting Ukraine against Russia. Lukashenko said, you join in the Union State of Belarus and Russia and nuclear weapons will be yours. They will be deployed to your territory. And you recall that Russia deployed uh, I believe it was April of this year, tactical nuclear weapons on Belarus soil. And now anyone that joins their union, as they call it, they're off offering nukes in order to enable anyone so inclined to try to protect themselves from our continual, perpetual meddling in other nations. But see, this is our responsibility, isn't it? This is what you're this is what you're told. This is it's our responsibility as the superpower. Right? This is what we call ourselves, you know, we are the superpower. It's our responsibility to protect the entire world. Isn't it? As I reflect on this Memorial Day, I can remember plain as day why I joined the military and what I thought I would be doing as an officer in the United States Army, what I thought it was all about and what I was prepared to do and for what reasons. Let's jump to Peru very quickly. Let's, let's head down south to Peru and let me tell you a little story about a democratically elected president of Peru, Pedro Castillo, and he wasn't in office too long, and we had a ambassador, a former nine-year CIA agent and, and advisor to the Secretary of State Pompeo under the Trump administration, Lisa Kenna. She heads down to Peru on 6 December of last year. 
and she meets with the Peruvian defense minister, Gustavo Babio Rosas. And what happens the very next day after the defense minister meets with former CIA agent and now Ambassador Lisa Kenna to Peru? The very next day, the president, Castillo, is overthrown in a coup. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? And an unelected ruler, Dina Boluarte, she's suddenly put into power. And December through February, the country of Peru lost it. Protests, widespread protests all throughout the country, and especially in the major cities. Oh, I'm sure it was a coincidence, wasn't it? CIA agent comes down there and, you know, this is, we don't participate in coups. We don't back coups, do we? That goes against the, the American ideals. The, well, why would this happen? What do we know about Peru? Well, we know their largest trading partner is China. And we know that the only... Pacific seaport in Latin America, managed entirely by the Chinese, is in Peru. But you know what else we know? Peru has the world's second largest resources of copper and zinc and silver. World's second largest. And they also have, according to some reports, the sixth largest supply of lithium. Now, what do these things all have in common? Why are these so important? Copper, zinc, silver, lithium. They're all critical assets, critical resources needed for renewable technologies. You know, to putz around in, in our electric cars. Green technology. Well, the story doesn't end there. If you've been watching the news at all, you'll see that the Peruvian Congress okayed U.S. troops to participate in their internal affairs. They call it, quote, cooperation activities for seven months. And so now we're involved with Ukraine, but we're heading down and we don't know how many troops are heading that way for cooperation activities in Peru under the command of General Laura Richardson, Southern Command. Not directly under her, her control, but she, she is the general officer in charge of Southern Command. If you recall back to the, the wars in Iraq, you remember there was a bit of public sentiment that was incensed about this idea of going to war for oil in the first Gulf War, even folks thinking that the second war in Iraq was also about this in some, in some manner. No war for oil. Um, I wonder if we're going to see any outcry about uh, military intervention in a, another nation's domestic affairs for, not oil in this case, but minerals for renewable technologies. 
whether it be a, a great anti-war or or anti-imperial kind of outcry against that, now that the green agenda is being pursued, is 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 one of the goals behind intervention in Peru, is interfering with other nations' domestic politics in order to secure access to minerals, legit and righteous. Is this something that would have motivated a young Bill Stebbins to commission in the United States Army? I can tell you this is the furthest thing from my mind. I would not have joined the military for a reason such as this. I would ask those wearing the uniform now, is this what you're serving for? Does this seem just and righteous to you? And many folks, especially officers, officers have imbibed the Kool-Aid, the the patriotic red, white, and blue Kool-Aid, and really have no compunction against uh, military interventionism uh, for reasons that serve the national interest. And the national interest can be so many different things, can it? Essentially, anything we want to do, anything our federal leaders want to do, we can broad brush it as part of the national interest, whether it's resources, great nation politics, etc. Uh, but this is the great global chess game with China, isn't it? China has strong ties with Peru, and so we're going to secure our access to mineral rights down in Peru and try to block Chinese economic um, stronghold down there. However, we see that we've already essentially yielded our closest neighbor, Mexico. Mexico is absolutely, they have no love lost I should say the Mexican government, the president, with President Dina Boluarte in in Peru. Uh, They are at odds with each other. Uh, They do not appreciate each other. Mexico at odds with the United States. And now, not appreciating that we are intervening down in Peru, of course, Mexico, who's already engaged in quite a bit of commerce and trade, in interactions with China to include the importation of fentanyl precursors into Mexico, which are then smuggled north to slaughter our citizens with a chemical weapon of mass destruction that kills over 70,000 citizens each year. 70,000 citizens each year. Fentanyl. I've spoken of this before. We don't care about this. We don't worry about our southern border and blocking this chemical weapon from being employed. We prioritize the Ukrainian border over our southern border. But a great victory, an incredible development occurred within the last couple of days. The debt ceiling crisis that everyone was worried about has now passed. And Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy 
executed some incredible political judo on President Biden, forcing him to compromise such that about, and we don't know exactly yet, we haven't seen the report yet, but about $2.12 trillion are being cut from the planned spending. And this is being touted as an incredible victory. It includes two years of locked-in spending caps, a clawing back of unspent COVID funds, and work requirements for some welfare benefits. But is this a victory? Let's put this in perspective. About $2 trillion in cuts in this next proposed budget. But the U.S. national debt is $31.8 trillion in growing. Cutting a mere $2 trillion off of a $31.8 trillion national debt is a small drip in the bucket and does little to nothing to solve the true monetary crisis that's upon us all. But what we've been given, the true victory, is that we've been given a little more time to prepare. For those of us who understand that our current monetary system is out of control, that it's on the path of inevitable ruin and implosion, it's sometime in the future. Okay, so we have a little bit more time now to continue to analyze what to do to protect our wealth, to protect our families, to plan for the coming storm. We have a little bit more time. It could have been in our lap this next month. Janet Yellen was saying we were about to run out of funds on the 5th of June. We have a little bit more time. So what are you going to do now? What am I going to do to continue planning, to quit being complacent, to realize the danger that our monetary system is in, and to make plans to fireproof ourselves, to protect ourselves and our loved ones and our families that count on us. And you may say, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's an enormous deal. Can I tell you that 80% of all U.S. dollars in existence, 80%, were printed in the last 22 months. I'm going to say that again. 80% of all U.S. dollars in existence were printed in the last 22 months. Now, this was a report that came out in October of 2021. So it's even worse than that now because we continue printing with reckless abandon, with irresponsible abandon. But... In January 2020, there were $4 trillion of fiat currency. That expanded to $20 trillion, from $4 trillion to $20 trillion in October 2021. 
80% of all U.S. dollars that have ever existed were printed in the last 22 months as of October of last year. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not recover from that. If you study history, you do not recover from that. And I'm going to read something to you. I'm going to read something to you from Germany. The Weimar Republic and what happened not too many years ago. Now, so many of our citizens, we don't study history anymore. For sure not in the public school system. We don't study hardly anything of value. But but let's let, allow me to read something to you. And I'm reading Conrad Haydn's biography of the Fuhrer. It's about Adolf Hitler. I, I am no fan of Adolf Hitler whatsoever. I say you don't knee-jerk that way and categorize me in a way that you shouldn't. What I do like to do is learn from history. I like to learn the conditions that give rise to vile, evil tyrants. And for this reason, I do my historical due diligence, and I study the past. And so I'm going to quote from Haydn's book. <clears throat> and this is a period of time before World War II when inflation was out of control in Germany. Quote, At all events, the German people was one of the first to witness the decay of those material values which a whole century had taken is the highest of all values. The German nation was one of the first to experience the death of the unlimited free property which had lent such a royal pride to modern humanity. Money had lost its value. What then could have any value? When a mark was no longer a mark, the period of nihilism foreseen by Nietzsche seemed to be at hand. A cynical frivolity penetrated men's souls. No one knew what he really possessed, and some men wondered what they really were. This could not be compared to any depreciation of currency in the past, with the assignats of the French Revolution, for example. For at that time, the mass of real property was not even touched by the depreciation. But in modern times, wealth largely consists of claims and credits, which have value only as long as the state protects and secures them. Men understood this with terrible clarity when the state stopped protecting and securing their wealth. Man had measured himself by money. His worth had been measured by money. Through money he was someone, or at least hoped to become someone. Men had come and gone, risen and fallen, but money had been permanent and immortal. Now the state had managed to kill this immortal thing. The state was the conqueror and the successor of money, and thus the state was everything. Man looked down at himself and saw that he was nothing. What kind of inflation were the German people experiencing during this 
period of time. At this time, the German currency was called the Mark. And so in 1922, a loaf of bread cost 160 marks. One year later, towards the end of 1923, that same loaf of bread that had cost 160 marks then cost 200 billion marks. From 160 marks to 200 billion marks. This is horrific hyperinflation. Now, if you study it, there are many things. There are a number of key things that cause inflation. And you and I, at first blush, if we don't study it, we just take inflation as inevitable. It's just something that happens. But it's not inevitable, and it's the result of bad economic theories and bad economic decisions. It's the result of unsound monetary practices. Again, 80% of all U.S. dollars ever in existence, that have ever existed, were printed in the last 22 months. You tell me that we are following a sound monetary policy. You know that we're not. And so when is, when is the balloon going to go up? When is this, this fragile system going to collapse? Because it will collapse. It cannot continue as it is. We have been given a very slight breather to get our ducks in a row, to study, to research, to find out what do we do to protect ourselves from when it occurs. Because when it happens, it's too late. And now you're struggling. And now if you've not done the requisite homework and taken measures to protect yourself, you and your family are struggling to survive. You and your family are struggling with the necessities of life. And money is not happiness. I'm not saying that. Money is not the worth of you as a human being. But guess what? Life becomes wildly difficult when you're impoverished. If you knew that there was another system, another monetary system outside of the current system, outside of the current matrix, outside of the current system that steals from you, that depreciates in value every single year, Inflation is silent theft. You, you don't see it so clearly, but inflation steals from you every month, every year. If you knew that there was a system outside of the current system that could not be tampered with by our federal government, that could not be tampered with by any government, an alternative monetary system where your wealth could be stored and protected and safeguarded. Would you be interested in that? You know that the current system is facing imminent collapse and it's not going to be pretty. And you've heard this for a number of years. How long does it take before it collapses? It's any of our guess, but 
it's accelerating rapidly. I would encourage you, for your family's sake, for your sake, for your peace of mind, you have nothing to lose by digging into and studying a little bit. Do a little bit of your own research into Bitcoin to study the principles behind Bitcoin, why it is wildly unique. As a military planner, I've looked into Bitcoin. I've studied it for years. I've tried to analyze its, its weaknesses, its vulnerabilities to confirm or deny. Is this just a fad? Is, is this just a, a, a Ponzi scheme, maybe a, a get-rich-quick kind of system? My assessment is that it's not. It has incredible value. And it's going on its 15th year of existence. 15 years of examination, of people looking at it, critiquing it, investing in it, watching it, analyzing. And the Bitcoin network is growing worldwide. It spans the globe right now. As long as an internet exists on the planet, Bitcoin will exist. Friends, I would encourage you to continue listening to this podcast as I explain strategies and tactics, conceptualizing Bitcoin and how it can help fireproof you against the economic collapse that's coming. I would encourage you to seek out videos online and books to educate yourself. You don't have to remain a victim in the current monetary system. A current victim just awaiting the slaughter that you know is going to occur. And I would hate for you to have incredible regret in the future when the collapse comes and you think back and you realize that you missed the boat, that you could have done something, but you were too complacent. You were too worried about being considered a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> you know, that, that gets thrown around so quickly by those who are threatened by ideas that actually have truth to it. It gets poo-pooed. It's conspiratorial. So many conspiracies today have been proven true, haven't they? But the establishment wanted to downplay and discredit different ideas, different thoughts, because it threatened their power. It threatened their control over you. This is not our heritage as Americans. And I would offer that as a human being, anywhere on the planet that you're listening to this, every human being has the innate desire and right for freedom to own the fruit of their hard work. And there is, of course, a legitimate place for, for government. But we have so many totalitarian, 
overreaching, burdensome governments that expand well beyond the reasonable limits, the righteous limits of proper governance. You don't have to be a victim. And there is another monetary system that can aid and abet, that can protect you against the crisis coming in the future. And you've seen it, if you've paid attention to this at all in the news, you see that the federal government does not like Bitcoin. You've seen several senators come out opposed to it, trying to outlaw it, trying to uh, punitively tax Bitcoin miners, trying to demonize Bitcoin miners, saying that they consume exorbitant amounts of dirty energy, dirty electricity. This is all garbage. They'll use the leverage of, of the green, clean energy um, lever to try to demonize those things that they're threatened by. When the federal government despises something and feels threatened by something so intensely, that causes me to want to look into it. I don't know about you, but that right there causes great interest. And I want to find out why does the federal government despise Bitcoin? And it's because the central planners, they don't like Bitcoin because they can't control it. And if they can't control it, they can't control you. And so look into Bitcoin, study it, find out what it's all about. Confirm or deny for yourself if what I'm saying is true or not. And so we have this brief hiatus before the next financial emergency, the next financial crisis. And so time is your greatest asset. So I'm sounding the orange alarm. Make use of the time that you've been given. Take a, take a brief pause from the, the Netflix binging and the TikTok cat videos. Take a brief pause from that and get informed. Educate yourself and prepare. And I'll be there every episode, every upcoming episode to help you contextualize things, to help you interpret what's going on in the larger world again, from the mind of a military planner that cares about my family, that cares about my society. I'll be here to help you chart these coming turbulent waters. And so, and so until the next episode, um, be well. And if you find this podcast in any way enlightening or useful or entertaining, I would ask you to share it with friends and family and others who might benefit from it. And that would help me get the message out. And so on this Memorial Day of 2023, I do appreciate the sacrifice of the men and women in uniform that gave themselves on behalf of a nation that tragically wasted their lives in conflicts that were not righteous, in conflicts that were not worthy of their sacrifice, were not worthy of their blood, were not worthy of the shattered lives, shattered marriages, shattered families. I can think of no better way to honor their sacrifice 
than to educate ourselves and study and learn what our nation is really about. To study true morality and ethics. To learn how to treat others the way that we would want to be treated. And that not to put those kind of ideas on the back burner of the stove, rationalizing, rationalizing our interventions overseas in terms of domino theories and great power politics and protecting our national interests and, and these kind of ideas that just enable kleptocrats and autocrats of our nation to launch us into wars and interventions in other nations when it's not our business to do so and doesn't directly defend this nation against enemies foreign and as our oath says and domestic and so we'll see you again on blockchain podcast this is colonel bill stebbins signing off